right, now, if you were with us in the first service, I think there's a couple details from this text that really undergird and support what was taught in the first service. And those two simple truths are what we've studied and what we're studying, and it's these two things. It's that we are created by God for a purpose, and secondly, that we live in a sin-broken world. And those two things are really important for living this life well and for adjusting to life well in this world. Some people do not either believe or remember that they were created for a purpose. And that they believe they exist for themselves and for their own purposes. The Bible teaches us we're created by God for His purposes. The second important worldview and frame of reference thing that we learn is that we're in a broken, sinful world. And what that means then is that there is death, that there is difficulty. Life isn't um, a cakewalk. It's not the Garden of Eden. How many of you know that you do not live in the Garden of Eden? All right. I know that I don't live in the Garden of Eden, okay? And what we learn here is that we are in a sinful world, but that is not the end of the story. So we're going to look at Genesis 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 6. We're going to read down through verse 19, and I don't promise we'll make it, but we'll just read that far, and if we make it that far, great. If not, we'll pick that up later. Um, is there a couple people that would like to read today? Genesis 3, I have one here. Um, okay, Genesis 3. Um, are you able to read, Esther? Okay. Let's do Genesis 3, uh, 6 through 13 will be Jeremiah Matthews, and then verse 14 through 19 will be Esther. 6 through uh, 13. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to, the, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. 
First is the ground for your sake. In sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and also thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your brow, sorry, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this chance to read your word together. Thank you for this account that you have provided in your word, and I pray that we will gain every benefit from this message and this text. Help us to understand, help us to believe, and help us to live in light of these truths. Um, I praise you that you're a God that comes to us, that reaches down to us, and may we respond to your working. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week we looked at the first five verses, and we looked at the serpent coming to Eve and uh, deceiving her and how he challenged the word of God. And Eve, unfortunately, listened to Satan, and Satan inhabited this snake, okay? And so the snake was talking, which is not normal, uh, Satan talking through the snake. And she gives in, she takes of the fruit, and we're going to look at that today in verse 6. And it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Eve got to looking at this tree, and she looked at it, and she saw the qualities of the tree. And so when, uh, when she looks at this tree, she sees three different things about it, right? What are the three things? Well, good for food, pleasant to the eyes, tree to be desired to make one wise. Now, which of these were true? Which of these were accurate that she observed? He says the second, she says the third. Anyone want to volunteer for the first? And then we can have a great discussion. Okay? So the question is, is she seeing this accurately or is she seeing something inaccurately? So first, she says it's good for food. She says it's good for the eyes. We'll just put eyes, good to look at, and then we'll put wise, all right? A, a tree to make one wise. Now, which one of these uh, was true? Before you answer, look, look back, if you would, with me at verse nine, chapter 2, verse 9. Yes, look at chapter 2, verse 9. And it says there, And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, is this tree good for food? Is it pleasant to the eyes? Now, this third one, is it a tree that would make someone wise? That's what Satan said, right? This will open your eyes. You're going to know good and evil. Was it true that they knew good and evil after eating it? Yes. Did it make them truly wise? No. It didn't make them wise. They grew in knowledge, perhaps, but not in wisdom, right? Wisdom, disobeying God is never wisdom. And, you know, this is a good lesson for us because, you know what some people will say? Oh, you can't, you can't speak against something until you've tried it, 
right? You say that sin, but you, you don't know how fun that is, right? And if you just knew how fun it was, then, you know, then you could maybe talk to it. But because you haven't tried it, you can't say, right? Anybody heard talk like that? The Bible tells us certain things are wrong, and guess what? We can declare them to be wrong on the basis of God's Word. We don't have to experience it to say that it's wrong, right? If God tells us it, that's enough. And don't buy the lie that you have to experience everything, right? No, God's trying to protect us. And he told them, don't eat of that tree, right? And Satan comes along and contradicts. And we do also see a little bit of the parallel here of the verse in 1 John 2. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, right? So we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and we have the pride of life, right? These general areas that we are drawn to, to temptation and to sin are through these three, three veins, okay? That's 1 John 2 and verse 16. How many of us remember, just raise your hand if you, if you think you remember the definition of repentance. Okay, we have one, two hands. Yeah, to change your mind. All right, now, in the passage, did Eve change her mind? She definitely changed her mind. She just changed it the wrong way, right? She went from thinking right to thinking wrong and believing right to believing wrong. And she had a change of mind that was for the wrong. Have you ever had a change of mind for the wrong? Yes. Yes, we have. And that's this process of temptation. Temptation is a battle for the heart and the mind. And if, if, if we can stop thinking the truth of God's word, Satan can move us off to lies and off to deception, right? So, so much of the battle of temptation is in our thoughts and our thinking. And sin begins in the heart and the mind. And just reforming externals is not the true answer, right? We need heart transformation. We need uh, an inside transformation. And that's where we see a big distinction here is that Eve... The, the real problem with Eve was not the extending of the hand, the grabbing of the fruit, the biting of the fruit. That was not the real problem, right? The real problem was what she thought, what she believed. And in that moment, the choosing matched her believing, and her believing had changed from what it used to be. Because before that snake came along, she said, we're not going to eat of that. God told us not to eat of that. And we're better off if we don't eat of that. And so she believed the right thing. And then temptation came along, and her mind was changed. Her thinking was changed. And um, that's why the Word of God is so important for us is because it helps our thinking. It helps us think correctly and see the world correctly. And, and uh, when falsehood or when lies or sin and temptation come, they're hopefully coming against a mind that is full of the Word of God, that is trusting the Word of God, and that when they come, they are rejected because of the truth that we hold in our hearts. Um, now, uh, the, the Hebrew is imprecise as to whether they took one piece of fruit or multiple pieces of fruit. Um, if you notice in the text, she takes some, and then it says she gave to her husband with her. We don't know if, it, he, if she took a separate piece off the tree and gave it to him, or if she took a bite and then handed the same piece over. It's, it's kind of irrelevant, but it doesn't say, okay? We don't know that detail, and it really doesn't matter uh, to our application, okay? Notice, though, there is one thing that jumps out to me. 
it says she took some of its fruit and ate, and then it says, and gave also to her husband with her. With her. This is the first time we find Adam in the passage. And, he said, and it says she gave to her husband with her. And I don't know if that means he had been with her the whole time. I don't know if it means that he came up after she had eaten and maybe the snake left and then she ate and then Adam comes. Like We don't know precisely that, but it says with her. And it's at this point that Eve doesn't even say anything to Adam, at least according to the text, right? She just gives it to him. And he just takes it. However, if you look further down, I don't know if you noticed this, but when it talked about Adam, look at verse 17. 17 says, And Adam... And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree, right? So apparently Eve at least said, take a bite, right? And maybe she said more. Maybe she repeated what Satan said. We don't know what she said, but she said something to Adam. And he took of that fruit and he ate. And there's, there, the Bible doesn't indicate that Adam hesitated, that he spoke back, that he said, maybe we shouldn't do this. There's no discussion of that. It seems that she eats and then immediately he eats and that there isn't much of a debate or a discussion. Um, This meant that they would experience the results of this together. And can I just remind us all that if, if you give your ultimate loyalty to someone and you shut off your brain and your heart and your mind and you simply do what someone else does, that if they get into sin, then you're gonna get into sin too. And that's a dangerous place to be. We shouldn't, we shouldn't do that, right? Don't give your heart and mind to anyone except who? Jesus Christ. That's right. Give your loyalty to him. He'll never lead you long, wrong. But that's why for everyone else, we, we hold ourselves back from complete and total loyalty except for Jesus himself. Um, so we see in this verse that they uh, sin together. Is there any question or comment on verse 6? Do you have the mic? Okay, we're going to um, go ahead and ask that again. Is that like saying that um, Adam just blindly followed Eve? Well, there's no objection giving by, given by him in the text. So it appears that he gave in right away. That there wasn't, you know, we don't have any record of like a hesitation or a talk back. And some people believe that Adam, at this moment after she had sinned, that he had a choice between God or his wife right? And there was some, some desire maybe to preserve his wife or to stay with his wife and do what she did. Is there another question? All right, right there. Um, I got two questions. Sure. Uh, the first one does say, the Bible says that uh, after they eat the fruit, man will suffer working and we're working and the woman shall su- uh, suffer yes. uh, childbirth and then rule over man. When the Bible says rule over, is that a state of fact or is that a command? Meaning is God just kind of saying this is what's going to happen naturally or right. is that like a command that you yeah. allow that to happen? Sure. We'll cover that when we get down there in the text. So, um, you know, when we get to those fruits in verse 17, 18, 19, uh, 16 as well, well, we'll cover through that when we get down there. Okay, so. yeah. And the second question is um, we talk about wisdom eating the fruit? Yes. Does that mean that before they ate the fruit, everything they did really, I guess the best way to say, wasn't sinful? Like no matter all their actions, they're just pure? 
before they ate the fruit? Absolutely it means that. Because there, there was only one possible way to sin in this scenario. That, that we know of. The Bible simply says there was only one command that God gave. One. And, you know, God gave the Israelites ten commandments, right? And let's face it, if you give a man one command or ten commandments, he's going to find a way to break it. Especially with a simple heart. But for these, for these, they just had that one command. Don't eat of that tree. And I want to point out, again, Satan said you will be wise knowing good and evil. Now, the name of the tree was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But God never labeled that tree the tree of the wisdom of knowledge and evil, right? It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And again, they got knowledge all right, but it was of the wrong sort. It was experiential knowledge, and it was awareness of how bad it was. But they did not attain wisdom, right? And that's what Satan offered them. So, um, but yes, as my understanding, that's the only way they, to sin was that one, one way. Anyone else? Question or comment? Back over here. Anyone after him? Okay. Just a point that the able to make one wise, her yes. observation, it is important, you know, how you define terms and how you understand the meaning of words. Because yeah, wisdom. some people would say, you know, you're differentiating between wisdom and knowledge. Right. It's good. But some people would say that, and especially Satan, obviously, <laughs> He would say that she succeeded and she might even after she took of the fruit and, you know, when they realized they were naked and whatever different things came to light, like, oh, wow, like we do have a form of wisdom now. Yes. But like you're saying, it really was knowledge. Yes. And well, even as God had said, Mm -hmm. knowledge of good and evil that they would know. Yes. But people would say that now they were wise, or Satan would say that. But even today, how you define terms is very important. Sure. Um, And then Amanda was pointing out that, you know, Adam was going along with this. They had never had friction or any type of disagreement in their marriage to this point. They had agreed on everything. Yes. So there was literally no disagreement that had ever occurred. Yep. And now Adam was faced with, an opportunity to disagree or to continue in the unity that they had. Right. And so he chose unity, which in this case was sin. Yes. Um, just an interesting thing. They yes. Never disagreed before. Right. They had never had any disagreements, and also they had never heard a lie before. This was the first lie that was told. Um, so, so these are brand new uh, concepts for them, um, and the idea of being lied to. Okay, verse 7 then says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, they received knowledge, and at this point they had a knowledge about nakedness. And this is the first change that we find. The first change is that they suddenly know that they are naked. And the nakedness has to be in reference to God. Because A, they're married, and B, they're the only two people on earth. So it's not about other people, it's about God. And this awareness comes to them, and this is the first change of a number of changes that are coming to them. And they immediately try to do something about it. Um, You know, they thought that things were going to get better, 
things got worse. And I imagine that once Adam has eaten, the snake has hightailed it out of there. Although we do have God cursing the serpent later, so I don't, I don't know if he summoned him. I can't imagine. Maybe he stayed around to watch. I don't know. But the point is, is that Adam and Eve are left on their own, right? Satan's not going to guide them after this point. Now they're in sin. Uh, he just kind of lets them suffer with it. He lets them go. And so they see that they're naked and they immediately sew lig- fig leaves together. And these fig leaves, I'm told that a fig leaf is one of the largest leaves. Um, and so it's got a lot of coverage and they're sewing these leaves together. However, you know that leaves don't last very well either, right? They, they tend to tear. They tend to dry up. A leaf is not, I mean, has anyone ever heard of a garment made of leaves? Yes, in Garden of Eden, right? That's the only time we've heard of it because nobody makes clothes out of leaves. Um, all right, someone's going to get on the internet. They're going to find a story, right? They're going to say, here it is, Pastor John. Um, but but they, they made themselves aprons. And I just want to point out here that Adam and Eve are in trouble and they immediately start trying to fix it. Have you ever been in that scenario? You get into trouble, you sin, and you immediately say, oh, this is what I need to do. I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to do this. And sometimes it's I'm going to lie about it. Sometimes it's I'm going to cover it. I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. I'm going to explain to myself how I'm really not wrong and this is okay. All these instant responses. And it says they made themselves aprons. They took this action themselves. They sewed these fig leaves. They made aprons for themselves. And this kind of shocks me because of what happens next. So let's read verse 8. We'll take questions after verse 8. And they heard the voice of the garden walking in the... I'm sorry. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They made these fig leaves, they made these aprons, and then the time of day came around where they would walk with God. And it is a little interesting, the phrasing of the words here, because it says that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. They heard the voice walking, right? And again, these metaphors, God ultimately is a spirit, and so he does not have a body just as we. Some people believe his body appears like our body in form, but it still is a spirit. Um, Jesus himself became human, so he has a body just like we. But at this stage, um, you know, so that, that's kind of a question for the theology books, and if you want to get into it, then you can ask a question, okay? But it says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hear God coming, and quick point on the cool of the day, that word for cool has the idea of being sourced in wind. So we think of cool in terms of temperature, and if you've ever experienced a wind blowing on you, you know that that can be cool, right? So the, the cooler time of the day, when the wind was blowing, perhaps, the Lord comes to them, but they've already made aprons, right? They've already sewed the fig leaves. You would think that they would be good, right? We're good because we've got these aprons good to go, here comes God. Why didn't they run to meet God? They had already taken care of the problem, right? They had already covered themselves. Why not just move forward? 
Well, they hid. And certainly, one way to look at it is this. God could have seen the aprons, and he would have known something was up, which is what happens eventually. But also, if they were confident that their aprons were good enough, then what would the problem be? But it wasn't good enough. And I think they had a sense that it wasn't good enough. And can I remind us that your good deeds and your efforts and your plans to fix yourself is not sufficient. You can try to do better, try harder, do good, but that's not sufficient to meet a sin problem. Right? Now, it might help you practically, you know. I mean, if you make more money, then, hey, that might help your budget. And if you uh, are nicer to people, maybe they'll be nicer to you and you have better relationships. And you can fix your human life a little bit with trying harder, right? But you can't get your conscience clean before God by doing good deeds. And here the passage says that they did what they could and they still were scared to meet God. And guess what? The day is coming when the lost man will stand before God and they will be scared on that day too. And they will be hiding in any way they could try because their good deeds are not good enough. And that's the good news we preach at Every Nation is your good deeds are not good enough, but there is one good deed that is good enough. And it's not your good deed, it's His good deed. And in the passage later, we won't get to it today, but later we find that God kills animals, takes their skins, and He clothes them. Now we know on a practical level that animal skin is going to last a whole lot longer than leaves, right? So there's a practical benefit, but there's also a spiritual lesson, and that is that God had to clothe them, and they couldn't clothe themselves. And that when he clothed them, he clothed them with something that had to be killed. And there was death involved with the covering of themselves. And uh, that the picture of the, the robes of white righteousness that we have in Jesus, that he had to die to earn to put on us, right? So there's a lot of good spiritual lessons and, and, and metaphor in here. But, but I want to talk about this hiding just a little bit more. Sin will cause you to hide. Sin thrives in the dark. And that is, it's almost like an instinct of animals where they hide when there is danger. And in our conscience, when we sin, our conscience afflicts us. And we seek to do something to shut that voice off. And so sometimes we hide in that we forsake church or we don't read the Bible. Sometimes we hide in that we drown out the noise of our conscience with music or movies or games or whatever. And, you know, some people seek to drown out their, their guilty conscience with drinking or with drugs, and others seek to just have fun and, and they party and pick, pick your thing, right? But our conscience does not like to be bothered. And so there's, an, there's a compensation. There's something that happens. And one of those things that can happen is this hiding where there is a, a, a distancing and a cutting off and a, a isolation where this sin wants to exist in secret. However, we know that hiding from God is what? Impossible. It is impossible to hide from God. Jonah teaches us this. Psalm 139 teaches us this. Other passages teach us that God sees and knows everything. And when, and when God comes to them in the garden and he says, where are you? That was not a GPS request, okay? God, God was not saying, I have no clue where you are and I'm tired of doing the seeking. No, it was him getting their attention and seeing if they would admit where they were, right? It was a call to their conscience. Where are you at? What's going on? You know, it is a little ironic. They use the trees that God made to try to help them hide from God. Didn't work, did it? 
And you know what? You can't hide your sin from God. You can pretend it away. You can act like it's not there. But if you have sin in your heart, God knows. And the longer you play and hide and pretend, the worse it will get for you. I'm thankful for what we read here, and we'll get to some more hopeful things in just a moment. Questions or comments, verse 7 and 8. The hiding, the skins, anything? Question or comment? Okay, let's do verse 10 then, or 9, excuse me, 9. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Who is left out? Eve. He doesn't say, where are you, Adam and Eve? He calls out to Adam. Where are you, Adam? So God calls to Adam. I wonder why God called to him. I wonder if it was because he was the one that was responsible, right? God had put him in charge of the garden, and then his wife was to help him. And God calls out to the responsible person that he left in charge, if you will, and starts with him. And, you know, there are some passages that, if you will, quote-unquote, lay blame at Eve's feet, and there's other passages that lay blame at Adam's feet, and what it really boils down to is they did this together, right, and they each share in the responsibility of that, but the, the garden had been entrusted to Adam, and God had entrusted his wife, Adam's wife, to Adam, so, but what I love about verse 9 is that it says the Lord God called to Adam. Do you know what, you know what the Bible does not say here? That Adam called out to God and said, Dear God, where are you? It's not what the Bible says. The Lord God called out to Adam. And this is, this is such a key, key point. I hope, I hope you can hear me on this. When you sin and you run and hide, you think this, God doesn't want me anymore. God's done with me. He's off caring about the good people, and I'm one of the bad people now. And so uh, that's just past tense for me. He's just done with me. That's it. That's what Satan tries to tell us. He lies to you on this side and gets you to sin. And then after you sin, he lies to you again and tells you that God doesn't want you. But the Bible here says that the Lord God called to Adam. God came to Adam. God sought out Adam. God knew the problem, and he came looking for Adam. And that tells me the heart of God is towards sinners. God comes to sinners in their sin. He reaches out to sinners in their sin. And in our hearts and minds, we think, sadly, that we have to come back to God. Well, yes, we do, but we need to remember God is seeking us. And we need to respond to that seeking, right? But we don't have to claw our way to God and get Him to turn His back towards us and say, what do you want now? It's not how it works. That's not our God. God is seeking us. And if we're going to return to God, it's but to turn to his seeking. He's seeking the sinner. And uh, this passage gives me so much hope. So much hope. Because, you know, sometimes you might think this, and I've thought it, why didn't God just like kind of blow up the thing and start over, you know? Just kind of, right? Well, I don't know all the answers to that question, but one of them, I believe, is that instead of, dismissing mankind to hell immediately, God said, let me rescue them. Let me rescue them. And he turns to them. And if you give God enough time, he'll show you that he can win the day. Satan's not the winner. God's the winner. And, I mean, that's, that's the whole point of the Bible is for us to see that God's will will be done. He will 
accomplish his purpose, right? He will save those who turn to him in faith. And so this is not the end of the story. This, this is the beginning, if you will. Um, uh, Billy Sunday said this, sinners do not seek God for the same reason that criminals do not find a policeman. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. So that's verse 9, and let's do verse 10, and then we'll take any questions. And he said, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Adam doesn't say we heard. He says, I heard your voice in the garden. Adam answers just for himself. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And this is very curious. Adam calls himself naked, even though he has apron of fig leaves on him. Right? So even this early in the equation, Adam knows that his efforts to fix this have failed. And I wonder if it was just being in the presence of God that he knew these fig leaves weren't going to cut it. And he says, well, I hid myself because I heard your voice. I was scared and I was naked. And he, he, he lays it out. Um, you know, his answer, his answer is not really an answer to the question. I don't know if you've noticed that. God says, where are you? Adam doesn't say, by the banana tree, you know. But to the left, under the shrub, to the left. It's almost as though Adam knows God's not really seeking his location. He's saying, what, where, what's going on? Where, where are you at? And he just says, I, I'm, I'm scared because I was naked, so I hid. And um, he almost asked the question God didn't yeah, ask, but sort of is asking. All right, any questions or comments on verse 9 and 10? Over here with Pastor Jeremiah. Anyone after him? Question or comment? Okay. It's almost as though God was asking, like, he wasn't, but it's almost like he was asking them, like, where are you spiritually? Yeah. And, and like, Adam responded as though that was the question. Yeah. He responded yep, that's as right. though God were asking, like, where are you spiritually? Yep. And Adam is like, I'm naked. Yeah. Where are you in relation to me? <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's a good. And then also I was thinking about how w with God seeking them, seeking after them, it's just a demonstration of his love. Mm -hmm. He loved them. Yeah. And that's why he wanted to rescue them instead of destroy them and start over. Yes. Because he loved them. Amen. And Amen. even though they had this, I mean, they had everything, but they just had to not do this one thing. Yes. And, you know, naturally, you know, if I'm God, I'm like, <laughs> okay, you yes. guys chose sin. I'm yeah. done with you. Let's move on. But God loved them so much that even though they just rejected him and were like, we're going to go our own way, he's like, no, please come back. Yes. I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. Yes. So. I, I think a part of that thought mind process in our minds about why didn't he just blow him up and start over is really, it's very short-sighted to what that means. Because sometimes when we think blow it up and start over, we think like obliterate from existence, right? But when God breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. Man is an eternal being. And so God can't blow it up and start over from the angle of remove these people from existence because they have eternal souls. Right? And there is an eternal hell and there is an eternal heaven. And so 
God killing them would have just meant that their souls would have gone to hell, right? And that's not his chief desire. That's not his goal. That's not his ultimate purpose that he is hopeful for man. No, he created him for fellowship with himself. So sometimes it really, um, I guess it's kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of God's nature and of the nature of reality that people, that we sometimes think that way because when you dig down, that's, that's very irrational and against God's purposes for him to do that. Um, question here with Esther, and then next will be Deborah. I just wanted to say that God was looking for Adam, and maybe he knew that Eve would be with him. Yes. But um, what was that quote you said? From Billy Sunday? Yeah. I didn't the, catch it. The quote is, um, sinner, let me get it correct here. Sinners do not seek God for the same reason that criminals do not find a policeman. Okay. I, I think that the thing Adam did was that God wanted to go to the world and he was he finally did that process with his family. Yes. Yes. In and you know, when God says where are you, he maybe didn't shout it. He maybe came right up to him and whispered, Where are they? You know, and so it's obvious at that point that he does not mean geography, you know. So that's a good point, though. Yeah, Adam seems to be responding to, to what's deeper there. Um, yes, next right here. So one of the things, but if I'm going to fight, that's where they normally met, like, you know. Like, and so this is something that he would, you know, they would do the work, and then he would walk with them. You know, and so it don't feel like you're meeting up with somebody, you know, in, in a similar sense. Yeah. And then person didn't show. Right, right. And they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? We've, we've been doing yes. this for a while now. Like, yes. Know? And so there really was a real relationship where he could walk with them because you know, they hadn't sinned yet. And so yes. they had this communion, just like, you know, in our resurrected bodies, we'll go to communion with him right. in heaven. And so um, there was a real sense of like, wait a minute, something, you know. Yes. And in, in our world, there's a thousand things that can go wrong when someone doesn't show. But in that world, right, there wasn't like henchmen and like falling off cliffs and, you know. So the point was, and certainly God knows all things, but the point was there's a very short list of possibilities here, right? And so God knew something was up. Um, next up is Deborah. And is there any, oh, I'm sorry. That was a, anyone else? Question or comment? Brother Matt? I do have a question about the Garden of Eve. Okay. After after they they ate the fruit, they got kicked out, right? They did. Okay. And they were blocked from coming back to it, right? Mm -hmm. Does that mean the garden Eve still is pure somewhere in this world? Well, that's a pre-flood situation. That's right. That's so the flood may have buried it or removed it or killed it or whatever. Okay. I mean, other people theorize that God took the tree of life up to heaven, you know, We'll get to that maybe when we get to that section, but yeah. yeah. Um, Matt is chomping at the bit today. He's, he's just two steps ahead of us, all right? Anyone else with a question or comment? Let's try to finish down to verse 13, okay? So God says to them, who told you that you were naked? Verse 11, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And he says, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? And, of course, God knows, but he's pointing out that no one told them this, right? 
God didn't tell them they were naked, and Satan didn't tell them they were naked. They knew. And they knew because that tree of knowledge of good and evil had opened their eyes. And it did open their eyes. It just opened them up in the wrong way. And so they were aware within themselves that they were naked. Um, And then his next question is, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? If you think about these questions, God knows the answer, but he's asking the question anyway. And so God is asking the question to prompt their heart, right, to get their response. Adam and Eve get a real bad reputation for the way that they answer these questions, right? But I want to point out that the final question God asks them is, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And do you know what both of their answers were? I ate. They were honest. Now they blamed someone else, but they did agree with God that they had eaten of the tree. I wonder what would have happened if they had said, no, no, it wasn't me. I didn't eat of the tree. I don't know. I don't know. But I always know that when God asks you a question, he wants an honest answer out of you. And it's going to be better for you if you will just honestly answer God back instead of playing games with him. So, He says, have you eaten of the tree? And so God uses questions and Satan uses questions. Both of them use questions. Satan pushes for doubt and dismissal. God uses questions for conviction and to bring about sincere agreement. So neither Satan nor God is lacking information. Okay, they're they're using their questions to lead somewhere. But notice his answer. Okay, verse 12, Adam's answer. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. In his answer, he points the finger back at God. The woman that you gave me, she took from the tree, she gave to me and I ate. So Adam's kind of like, I ate of the tree, but I didn't pick it off the tree. Okay, I was the fruit consumer, but I was not the fruit harvester, dear Lord. All right, As though that puts him in a better spot. Um, he says, I ate. So he does agree with God that he ate, but he is first going to point out the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and and I ate, right? Like maybe his voice, she's the real problem, but I did eat. Okay, so, so Satan gives, or Adam gives his answer, and then verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And in a sense, we could say that Eve not only ate, but she took from the tree and she listened to the serpent. So there's, there's a sense in which there was a little more involvement or a little more action on her part. But it says, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here she points to the serpent. But notice she does not say the serpent that you created or the serpent that you gave me, right? She doesn't say any of that. She just says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I almost feel like Eve is being a little more straightforward than Adam is. Um, And so both of them are using their blame game. And God doesn't even, God doesn't even deal with the blame game. He just goes right past that. And he goes right to the results of things. There's a sec, there's a sense in which this section of scripture is very depressing. It's not the most encouraging or uplifting, but it is fundamental for understanding the relationship of God to sinners. And I'm so thankful that we can see in the passage how God reaches out to the sinner, right? Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means satisfaction or satisfaction for a payment. So it's not that we love God. I'm not going to heaven ultimately because I love God. I'm going to heaven because he loved me, right? I didn't call up God and say, please send down Jesus, right? No, no. He sent Christ. He gave Christ. He reached out to us. And it is our place to respond to him. And this is the good news of the gospel is that God seeks out sinners. Now, in verse 15, there's some beautiful stuff in verse 15 that we'll get to. We'll talk about the bruising, what that means. Um, there's a lot. It's not probably what we think of as bruising, okay? So we'll, we'll get into a lot of that in two weeks. But um, any question or comment on these verses here as we close? Pastor Jeremiah. Well, let's, let's start with Tom. Tim, start with Tom, Pastor Jeremiah. So not only did sin begin, blame shifting began. That's right. That's a good. Something to keep in mind for yes. each one of us. Yes. That's a great observation that one of the f- very first results of sin was blame shifting. So pointing the finger at someone else. Very good. Yeah, and along with what he's saying, not just pointing the finger at someone else, but they, like you pointed out, they both admit that they sinned. They ate, And I find that, you know, a lot of people I've talked to about the Lord and witnessing to them, you know, you show them Bible verses, you can point them to the Ten Commandments or whatever, and Mm -hmm. get them to say that they have sinned. Yes. Um, Or even so far as to say that they are a sinner. Right. But sometimes they will want to point the finger for their sin at the environment, the family, the... Yes, it's other people's fault. Whatever, like, they want to point it somewhere else as to why they sin. Yep. And that is exactly what they're doing here. They're saying, I sinned, but it wasn't all my fault. Yes. And so their repentance is getting there. Yes. But they haven't they haven't changed their mind completely about yeah. about their sin. That's so excellent. You I could preach a whole sermon after that because and this is important with child rearing, but it's even more important in our own heart and life. And that is this no one can make you sin. Did you know that? No one can make you sin. You sin because you choose to sin. Now, other people can tempt you to sin. Case in point, Eve Offer the fruit to Adam. That's a temptation, right? But Adam could have said no. And in, in, with, with kids, when you sometimes talk with them about doing wrong, they'll be like, I did, but it wasn't my fault. It was the sister, and it was this person, and it was that, and it was whatever. And um, coming to the grips that I, did, I was wrong, I did the wrong thing, I'm responsible, right? That is a huge step in practical terms, but in spiritual terms. And I remember a story from years and years ago, all the way back at the, the park, where we had someone respond to an invitation. They said they wanted to be saved, so we went in that little kitchen. Remember that kitchen? And I, it was a guy, and I was kind of showing him some Bible verses, and I was going through the gospel, and, you know, he was kind of, yeah, yeah, you know, and he was agreeing, and so it seemed like, you know, he was ready to be saved, so I asked him if he wanted to pray, and so he said, yeah, and he started to pray, and it was kind of like partway through, he started laughing. And he was like, this is so crazy. And I was like, hold, like time out. Like, hold on a minute. Like, what? And I, I, I knew something was really off. Because I was like, nobody is laughing when they're crying out for their soul to be saved. I was like, something's. So I went back to square one. I said, I was like, are you a sinner? And he's like, yeah. 
And then I said, are you responsible for your sin? And he's like, no way. He's like, it's not my fault. He's like, and he went on to blame it. And I tried to reason with him a little bit. And finally, I just said, he's, he's not having any of it. And we just ended it there. But I was very clear. I said, I want to be clear. You didn't make a decision today, and you're not saved. I said this, you know, and I, I just left it very bluntly there. But res- responsibility for sin is foundational for guilt, right? If it's someone else's fault, then ultimately, how are you re- accountable for that, right? They're, they're accountable. But when you say, I made the choice, right? I said that. I did that. I sinned. You're claiming responsibility. And at that point, you're then, you then qualify for forgiveness because you have sinned, right? If it's the other person's fault, who needs forgiveness? The other person. They're the one that needs forgiveness because they're the one that, that made it happen, right? But this verse or this passage is so important to see that personal accountability. And if we accept personal accountability, then we are ready for forgiveness. And we've qualified ourselves as sinners for forgiveness. All right, a lot of good, good thoughts, and um, let's close in prayer. Oh, we have one more question right here. All right. This question is from a person on my uh, Okay, okay. Too shy to use the microphone. That's okay. What did, what did she got? Uh, she asked if Adam and Eve were ever saved. Were they ever saved? Well, I believe that they were. And I believe that one of the reasons that they came to salvation is because they admitted they sinned here. And then later when God gives them the clothing, they accept them. And, you know, salvation, especially in the early sections of the Old Testament, is, is difficult. But to simplify salvation, we need to understand that being rescued, the word salvation means delivered, And to be delivered by God always happens through faith. It happens through believing what he says. And in this moment, Adam and Eve disbelieved God, right? But for them to come to salvation and to be saved, they had to believe God. And when God said, here is the covering for you, this will be sufficient for you, and he killed that animal and he provided that to them, I believe that when they put that on and they wore it, that it was a symbol of their faith, that they believed God. If they had cast it aside, if they said, we're going to keep our fig leaves, or we don't need clothes at all, or we don't care what God says, that would, to me, would have been a rejection of God. But when they accepted them and they wore them, that was a sign that they believed what God said would be true. And he said, this is sufficient to cover. And so even in, in like, for instance, with Noah, um, you know, he believed that God told him to get on the ark and he got on the ark, right? So that shows he believed God. Salvation has always been by faith. It's never been by works. Sometimes the content of what was to be believed has evolved a little bit over time, but it's always to trust what God says. And certainly once Christ has come, God's very clear that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the object of our faith, right? In the Old Testament, they believed in a future Messiah, but even then sometimes it was a little fuzzy, but it was always by faith in what God said. So I hope that gives some clarity. Good question. Okay, we'll close in prayer, and thank you for your kind attention to the Word of God. Dear Lord, I praise you for this 